Welcome to a roundtable of the first of its kind, I believe. We have gathered the whole Boston New England consortium here to kind of chat about where everybody's at. You know, we've got two teams starting up. We've got one team who's in the middle of their season, one team who's end of their season. And so we've got a great group of people who represent a whole bunch of different podcasts, a whole all of our Boston sports teams. And we just kind of want to go over how everybody's doing right now. I'm Jake Reiser. I'm with Fans for Sports Network and with the Big Bad Bees Podcast Network. So I'll be representing the Bruins here. Joining us from the Red Sox is Brian Joyner from Monsters of Socks in Over the Monster. For the Patriots and Pats Nation, it's Pat Lane. And from Green with Envy in the Celtics blog, it's Will Weir. Guys, thanks for joining me. Thanks. Adam. I'm a joiner. It's what I do. Happy to be <laughs> here, guys. <laughs> so let's start with the season that just ended because I feel like, surprisingly, now it's not the worst to talk about, but I feel like it's good because there's some closure there now. The Red Sox finished in last in the American League East. They did not make the playoffs and there appear to be a lot of drastic changes coming. Chaim Bloom, the president of baseball operations, was fired. The baseball czar, he's gone. There's already some coaching staff changes. Carlos Fabless and Dave Bush were also both not retained by the team, so they'll have a new pitching coach and a new third base coach slash infielders defense coach. There will be a lot of roster turnover. Brian, this is going to be a crazy offseason. Yeah, I think that the... The the assistant coaches are like sacrificial lambs, sort of, because Hayam is the the entire story. And there is a little bit of an Alex Cora power grab thing going on where there was talk about Alex Cora maybe pulling a Brad Stevens and becoming the GM slash president of baseball operations, which he like the only reason that is no longer a talking point is that he came out and publicly said he didn't want to do it, which seemed to me him saying, I don't want to do it yet. And it seems like he has a lot of pull in this organization. So the coaching decisions may relate to him having bloomed in power as that was not intentional as, as high and bloom uh, was gotten rid of. But the only nice thing I can say about the Red Sox now is that in getting into this round table, and this doesn't make me happy in any way. I thought the Red Sox were easily going to be the most down bad team, but boy, we are not. I'm looking at you, Pat, and I just have to say I'm so sorry for the start of this season. Everything is just coming up miserable in Foxborough right now, isn't it? I don't know. I don't know what you're talking about. Everything's fine. Everything's totally fine. No, it's uh, it's it's a complete disaster. It's a complete disaster. It's gone from it's gone from bad to untenable very quickly. The first two games of the season looked okay. You know, they they couldn't finish things off at the end, but they played two really good teams and competed with them the whole game. And it came down to, you know, two fourth fourth down plays that they just couldn't convert um, for whatever reason, you know. And so, fine, they beat the Jets. And then, you know, you have the absolutely just terrible game against the Cowboys where everything goes wrong. Mac Jones look like, looks like the worst quarterback in the history of the planet. And they followed up with just 
just complete no showing against the Saints. And honestly, it's one of those games like so it's funny. I my sister-in-law got married on Sunday, so I missed the game. I have season tickets, sold my tickets to my co-host, actually drove up from New York and, and was at the game. And I had talked to Burned, who writes Pat who is the editor for Pat's Pulpit. And I said, Hey Burned, I'm like, I'm gonna be out. I'm like, I can't have the the takeaways for I, I write 10 takeaways after every game. And I said, I can't have the takeaways done. For Monday, but I can have them done for Tuesday if you want them, you know, like because it's a long weekend, whatever, right? So he was like, nah, he's like, don't worry about it. I got it. You, you, you know, enjoy the wedding. Don't worry about it. And I messaged him after after the wedding. And I'm like, dude, thank the Lord that you did that because I watched the first quarter of that game and I, I shut it off and I had, you know, I had plans to go back and rewatch it. And I'm like, nope, I'm not even I'm not even bothering. Like, it's just, it's awful. And, and it, you, it's gotten to the point now where, you know, Bill Belichick's the greatest coach of all time. I think he's the greatest coach in history of sports, in history of team sports, right? And and you know, maybe not. I mean, I may I may make that argument not necessarily against Red Auerbach because Red Auerbach's probably the probably the greatest coach in the history of sports, but certainly the greatest coach in the NFL history. And it, this is going to tarnish his legacy. This is going to be what people remember about him, which I think is a shame because it shouldn't be. You know, but this is it's going to get to that point. If they play this way again, non-competitive. It's one thing you don't have talent. You know, you can't be non-competitive in in all facets of the game. It, it, that's that comes down to coaching, and, and you can't have that. So I I've just, had a- I just want to interject because I think that <laughs> I, I I I agree with the. I have been a Bill Belichick defender, but this year it is all it's gone. Yeah. Right, like it's gone. There's there, there's nothing to. To rely to to stand back on. I I only think that the important point I would make is that like I don't know what happened in Red Auerbach's last year, right? I, mm-hmm. I think that yeah, this could get swept under the rug. I, I think that the the main problem here is that, and this is just because I'm old and I am, but. When the Patriots aren't good, I don't think people will care about them. And that's not the same as the other three teams. And so I think that is the, it's easy to look at Belichick, but it's also like Belichick is saving us from that reality. Mm -hmm. And that is up and that is terrifying. Right. But we're well, but we're the sad teams. Let's get to the happy ones. Yeah, that's a, you know, that's a very uh, existential existentialist yeah. threat that you're talking about. Right no, but it's, that's, I think that's a great point. The one thing I will say about that is that the Patriots sucked forever until the '90s. I remember getting made fun of mm-hmm. in middle school for wearing Patriot stuff to school. Mm-hmm. I, I went to school. I lived in Massachusetts. I'm like, this is the home. You can't. This is the hometown team. What do you mean? Yeah. And then you know that was early '90s. They made the Super Bowl a few years later. Then everyone was a fan. Now people have been fans for so long of the Patriots. I don't think that all of those fans are going to go away, but I do think that you're going to see a lot of people lose interest. Similar to the way you've seen some people lose interest in the Red Sox, where it's, it hasn't been quite as you know as rabid of a fan base as it was before, and so it might come back down to earth a little bit. I don't think we'll ever be in the situation where they won't be selling games out or it'll be a nightmare or no one will be watching or whatever, but certainly not the way it was back, you know, 10 years ago. So, so I've I, got it, a family oh, go tradition. I've got a family tradition. Uh, I, before every, before at halftime and after every Patriots game within reason, 
I call my grandparents and we talk about, you know, what's going on with the game. Even if it's just the 30 seconds before the game starts, Hey, what, what time is the game starting? What channel it's on? All right. We'll talk to you later. Love you. Bye. And they go snowboarding in Palm beach County. So dolphins territory towards the end of October. I called them on Sunday at halftime. And the only thing they said to me is, well, it's probably not worth chasing around to find Patriots games down there this year, isn't it? Yep. <laughs> yep. It's true. And quickly on the red hour back note, his last year of coaching was the last of the eight P that the Celtics had from 1959 <laughs> to 1965, 66. Right, but you didn't know he could have been bad. Dan Marino's last game, he, and he never won a title, so this is not uh, the same, but he lost. Like, yeah, what, 66 to, to 10 or something like that? Yeah, yeah, six, I mean, Tom Brady's last game as a Patriot was a pick six to That's very true. nine, right? Very true. He threw it to one of his bros. Like, what, yeah. do, you, what do you expect? <laughs> but as far as brightest teams go, green certainly seems to be the color in Boston. It was a very wild off season for the Celtics. Some familiar faces gone. Marcus Smart, Grant Williams, the Time Lord. But then you bring in Kristaps Porzingis, Drew Holiday. It feels like if those guys can stay healthy, really, if Kristaps can stay healthy, you have an incredible top six on that roster. Yeah, I mean, when it comes to the Celtics, it's it's luckily nothing but excitement. You know, we uh, on our show with Green with them, but we just had uh, Amina Smith on the show, and she does a lot of hosting for NBC Sports on their Patriots coverage, and obviously is integral in the in, in their Celtics coverage. And so we talked a lot about the Patriots on one of our last episodes, and it was funny. We recorded on Friday before the game on Sunday and we were already kind of painting the picture of what's it worth to, you know, I live in Texas. And so I have an interesting perspective having grown up in Dorchester and then moved to Texas a little over 10 years ago and seeing the way that, you know, as Pat was kind of laying out fan bases have changed. Like everything was all Red Sox for me growing up. Red Sox was the end all be all Pat's crept in Celtics had their day. You know, me and my, one of my co-hosts, we always talk about, it's amazing that we cover the Celtics growing up in the nineties with the Celtics, with how bad that was. And that's part of the reason Antoine Walker is one of my favorite players, just because that's all we had that was, we had to grab on to what we could. And that was Antoine Walker for a little bit until we got Paul Pierce and, and things changed. But you know, the, the way the times change with what the, the fan bases in Boston are grabbing gravitating towards, I think is so fascinating and how long the Pat's, have held that mantle and they've taken it from the Red Sox for a bit. Red Sox still kind of lingering there. It's interesting to see as all of these organizations are kind of in flux as to, you know, where that goes. And from a Celtics perspective, you know, they've been on the cusp of obviously making it to the finals two years ago. Last year, in aggregate, a, a pretty solid season, but the way we got there was so rocky and up and down that the expectations were all mm. over the place. And so when you look at it as just, oh, we lost in game seven of the Eastern Conference Finals, that's a tough bid, but it felt a whole lot worse than that given the way the season yeah. started with Ime Odoka, the way that it was kind of up and down, and then obviously you go down 3-0 and then you can't quite make that comeback. So it doesn't quite feel the same. And then, you know, as you said, Jake, they make these big, big changes in the offseason and I mean definition of, of really shaking it up letting go of some guys that were you know staples of that team but I think when you look at it you talked about that top six and I think really there's about seven to nine guys in that rotation that are going to play at least regular season and certainly in the postseason at least mm -hmm. seven to eight guys that are you know really high level NBA players and especially with that top six roll the ball out whoever you got in the NBA the Celtics if they're healthy have an absolutely amazing chance this upcoming mm -hmm. season 
Who are your seven to nine? Because obviously it's Jalen Brown, Jason mm-hmm. Tatum, Chris Stops, uh, Drew Holiday, Derek White, and Al Horford. Uh, what is it? Peyton Pritchard is probably around there. Right. Yeah, I think he's a definite for me at number seven. You know, he's a guy that he just didn't have the opportunity. He can play. He can flat out play like that. There's a reason they gave him that contract. Part of that is a little bit of roster flexibility that it allows Stevens. Now they're going to be yeah. the second tax mm-hmm. apron team. And there's a whole bunch of complications that come along with that. And so you're going to need a few salaries if you want to make future moves. So that's part of it. But also the dude can ball. There's there's a lot of people in the league that really respect him. He was on the team USA select team this past. Uh, you know, leading up to the FIBA World Championships. That's not usually reserved for guys that got a bunch of DMPs last year, which once again, like I said, they're just when everyone was healthy, there wasn't enough minutes to go around. So I think he's an easy number seven. And then from the regular season, I feel pretty good about what Luke Cornett can bring. I know some people are worried about the depth at the center position. You know, Rob Williams only played 35 games last year. Luke Cornett held up just fine. You know, the Red, the, the Celtics won 57 games last year with basically or mostly Al Horford and Luke Cornett and Blake Griffin. So, you know, I, I have no worries about Luke Cornett holding up. And then I think when you look at Sam Hauser, O'Shea Brissett, you know, Delano Banton's a guy that's just, you know, he's kind of a point guard, but he's also like six, seven, six, eight. So he can just give you this freaky, long, huge team that you can really put out there. And so even if you're missing one or two in that top six, I think you can get to eight or nine guys easy in the regular season that you're going to feel yeah. comfortable with putting them out there. And then when you get to the postseason, you're going to need your top six. I mean, you look at the Bucks last year, they were the one seed. Giannis goes down, there goes the season. So if you don't have your top guys in the postseason, yeah. it's, it's, it's going to suck and it's going to be really tough to win. But, you know, I think in the regular season, this team's going to go seven to nine, you know, eight, nine guys each night, do it very easily. And then just by the end of the season, can you have your six guys at their peak performance ready to roll? Will, do you think the Celtics are should win the East? Uh, I think should's a tough word because I think the Bucks are right there, but I think it's the Bucks or the it's the Bucks or the Celtics. Those are the two teams that you could. I think you got to group them together. Uh, I just think it's so ironic, obviously, that the Bucks made the move for Dame, and for about forty-eight to seventy-two hours, it was holy crap. And then the one guy that you would look to that can really potentially—I mean, there's no stopping. There's one thing I would say: there's no stopping these Dame Lillards and Kevin Durant. There's no stopping them, but there's well, injuries down, injuries and there's can making, stop well, them. Well, injury, like that, injury. That's that's the thing. Aside from injuries, I'm talking about just the the actual matchup right. like when they're out there. And so Drew Holiday is one of the few guys that's gonna gonna you know I won't say he'll put the clamps on him. He's gonna make life hard if you get in a seven game series. We saw that when the Celtics matched up with Kevin Durant and others mm-hmm. over the last couple of years. They didn't stop them, but they certainly slowed them down, made everything harder, and that was kind of the nightmare scenario for the Bucks. But Dame Lillard's still Dame Lillard. He's older, but he still yeah. averaged 32 points per game last year. Like him and Giannis in a pick and roll is going to be an absolute nightmare. No clue what anybody can can really do with that. But I, I think it's Bucks and Celtics. And then if anyone else comes out of the East, either injuries are going to play a role or it's going to be a massive, massive surprise. Yeah. It just feels like there's a humongous gap between Milwaukee and Boston and then everybody else. Philly, who still has the James Harden drama to deal with, mm. and Joel Embiid, who must feel totally awful about his situation right now. The Heat, who feel like the ugly ducklings who tried to get every single guard possible and came up completely short every mm-hmm. single time. What they were they wanted Bradley Beal, they were in for Drew Holiday, they were in for Dame. They nothing, yeah. nothing came up Miami's way. There's just a huge gulf between 
And the then top they two lost, teams and everybody uh, else. you know, it's not going to sound like a lot, but Gabe Vincent, Max Drews were two of their mm-hmm. five starters in the NBA finals a couple of months ago. So, yeah. you know, that's a, that's a pretty big deal. They're getting Tyler hero back, but I, I just have to, I have to give them respect begrudgingly because I've written them off too many times. I've been too chesty on our show about, uh, you know, because the matchups dictate that the Celtics should beat the heat each time. Really the right. Celtics have a better roster, but also that speaks to who Jimmy becomes in the postseason, and mm-hmm. especially who Eric Spolster is, which is the best coach mm-hmm. in the NBA. I think that Pat would understand like they're the Steelers. Like right. they're a baseline good mm-hmm. at all times and they exactly. can be good to great. That's a good comment. Yep. I like you're that a lot. Never get, you're never just going to walk over them. It's right. Not- yeah. That's a great. It's a great way to put it. And it, you know, it's funny because you mentioned Milwaukee trading away, you know, Drew Holiday and getting and you know and bringing in Dame because it makes their team better. And I think the Celtics did the same thing, right? You, you hate to see Rob Williams go. Hate it. Every every Celtics fan's got to hate that. You hate to see Marcus Smart go. But at the end of the day, if everyone stays healthy. I think their team is better today than it was at the end of the year last year because I think that Porzingis is a better overall player than Rob Williams, and I think that Drew Holiday is a better overall player than Marcus Smart, and so you've made your team better and more competitive. Now, again, injuries happen, and injuries happened yeah. to Smart and Rob Williams, but like, if no injuries happen, I think your team is better, and as hard as that was to move on from those guys, I think ultimately it was the right move, and we'll see how it pays off, but I think ultimately it was the right move. Question. I have a question for Will because I heard when they made the Drew trade, people said, well, now it, now, now Chris Stapps really has to stay healthy. I didn't understand why it was more imperative before the trade. It seemed like after <laughs> the trade, you had a fourth – extremely high level player and if anything mm-hmm. it, it it eased the pressure but i don't i don't know uh if that's true so yeah I'm so asking. i think a little bit of that is just to what i mentioned kind of with how i feel comfortable with luke Cornette because rob played 35 games last year and we mostly we played a lot with luke Cornette and blake griffin last year and we're, we're just fine in the regular season but mm-hmm. i think it's to that point where you look at last year and this is where peyton pritcher got cut out of the lineup because they had malcolm brogdon Derek white and marcus smart and they all stayed relatively healthy throughout the season, but you came into that knowing that Marcus always misses 15 to 20 games with the way he plays. Malcolm Brogdon has an injury history, but my argument was, well, if you get all three of them, you can definitely get by with just two out of those three. So you're in good shape. I think going into this year, prior to the drew holiday trade that was kind of the thinking of al horford misses every back-to-back and he's 37 years old so you you gotta i mean at some point father time is gonna come calling and so you gotta kind of preserve that as much as you can rob we know his injury history chris Stapps, he's got a lengthy injury history but if on most nights you can get at least two out of those three guys you feel really good about what you're rolling out there with because you know you have a very high uh, you know, floor when you have the Jays who just never miss time, which is one of the greatest things about yeah. having those two guys as your stars is they play 70 games, 70 plus games every single year. You don't got to worry about this new, you know, restriction on when stars play or not because you have stars that play. So I think the worry with Porzingis was was related to the fact that there's less kind of in the reserve tank now that you take out Rob and Luke is going to be you know, present again as a mainstay, basically night nice night. I'm expecting Luke to play. You know, even when all three guys are healthy, he's probably going to play every single night. His minutes will vary depending on on the matchup. But I think that's more where it comes from. You know, 
where Chris Stapps is a lot more uh, key to the success because now his injury health, if he goes down, you are looking at some trouble. But I think, once again, if you're healthy by the postseason, that's going to be what matters. You can still get by in the regular season. You know, I want to do a little weapons analysis of everybody's roster in a second, but I do want to introduce our last team, though I haven't brought up yet. The it, We almost feel like the redheaded stepchild now at the Garden, even though the, the, they're the team that actually technically owns it is the Bruins, whose season feels more ceremonial than anything else. It's the 100th year of the Boston Bruins, so New Jersey's and a hell of a new roster, that's for sure. Losing two of your franchise icons mm -hmm. in Patrice Bergeron and David Krejci, yeah, you brought back Milan Lucic for a little bit of fun, but, you know, you now, they're in a weird state of flux. Maybe not as big as, like, the Red Sox are right now, but they need to find what their next generation is while still having a good enough core. David Pasternak will be a part of the core for the long-term future. Charlie McAvoy will be a part of their core for the long-term future, as will Hampus Lindholm. Hopefully Jeremy Swayman will once they get him signed to a better deal, once the cap goes up. But they're still missing something. They're missing that top line edge. Like we were just talking so much about how much top end talent the Celtics have. And we'll get into the Patriots and the Red Sox in a little bit. Marshawn is getting older. And what happens when you lose Marshawn? What, where's the left wing depth there? Coaching can only bring you so far. Their center depth can only bring them so far. The preseason, honestly, I think went a lot better than expected. We had two centers come out of training camp making the opening right roster that were completely unexpected in Johnny Beecher and Matt Poitra. There's a big joke going around in the SB Nation NHL chat that it took Patrice Bergeron, a second-round center drafted by the Bruins, it took him retiring for another second-round center drafted by the Bruins in Matt Poitra to break out, and uh, maybe he's the next Boston Bruins star, but... Even still, it's it just feels like a really weirdly ceremonial year. And just after such a fantastic season last year, the best regular season in NHL history, to fall flat on your face in the first round and come back with this really weird mishmash team. I don't know where to rank them amongst the Boston sports teams. Clearly, they're not as good as the Celtics. I think they're maybe in a slightly better situation than the Red Sox, and they're definitely not the Patriots. So it's either two or three. I just don't know where they fit. Jake, they're number two. I, I, I don't. I don't really follow hockey anymore. I did when I was younger, and Cam Neely, Bruins, etc. But the only thing I know about hockey these days is that if you have the best regular season in history and lose in the first round, you probably are going to win the Stanley Cup next year for no reason, <laughs> for no reason whatsoever. Uh, but I do think that there, there's a, I think the Celtics are obviously number one. I, I think that's far and away the case. Is this by what fans are are, are gravitate towards, or is this you just by like one, what type of team? You, I, I'd say by like what you type by team Vegas strength odds, right now. My team strength. Vegas okay. odds would also, I think. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not going by Vegas odds, but if you did, the Celtics would easily be number one, mm -hmm. like by yeah. far. Mm -hmm. And I think the Bruins would be number two, and I think. I mean, yeah, it would be a Red Sox and the Patriots, but yeah. At, at this point, for sure. Yeah. 
you know, we can get into that Red Sox roster that does still have some upside and has at least some part of a core for the future. Uh, ownership decided to make Rafael Devers the big signing rather than Mookie Betts or Xander Bogarts. I don't think this season went exactly according to plan for him. And I don't know what's in store for his future, whether he becomes a full-time DH or splits time at DH or whether he just needs to just completely revamp his infield defensive work. But, you know, that's at least some part of a good core. Tristan Casas emerged as a great part of the future core. Brian Bayo. So there are at least pieces there with the Red Sox. Jake, I appreciate you being a good host, but I want you to finish your Bruins ranting before we <laughs> move on. Because you... It seems like you have some issues with, with the team. I mean, I do. You know, the bringing back Milan Lucic, as much as it feels fun for leadership's sake, feels a little weird. It's been mm -hmm. a number of years since he's been on the Bruins. I loved his enthusiasm. It was all the rage on July 1st when free agency opened. Don Sweeney called him and said, Milan, how happy you're to be back. And he said, I'm in Vancouver. I ran to the nearest shop I could to find a Bruins hat. I'm so happy to be back. He's just not a fantastic hockey player anymore. He's nowhere near what he was when he left the Bruins. Yeah. The the depth just isn't there offensively that it used to, both as far as scoring goes and the amount of protection that Patrice Bergeron gave you and David Krejci gave you as two-way forwards. And it makes me worried because it's going to really show you how strong the defense actually is and how strong the goaltenders are. I think that... Lena Solmark and Jeremy Swimman have the best bromance in Boston sports. Nothing beats the goalie hugs, but it's going to be a humongous test for them behind a less talented defensive core. Even on that third line with Derek Forbort, Kevin Shattenkirk, you know, we're waiting to see Mason Lowry could have made the roster this year. He'll be up at some point this season. He had a good preseason. Matt Grizzlick, whether he stays with the team or not, or becomes a part of a trade chip for a number one center at some point this year or next summer. But it's a huge test for these two goalies in front of arguably a less talented team. That's a bummer, man. Yeah. I mean, you're not wrong. Listen, the one thing about the Bruins, I'll say, is nice is that there is young i feel like there are young players up there obviously milan lucic is not young right but mm -hmm. i do feel like there's a decent amount of young prospects that are coming up that we can be excited about you know and and it's not you know it's not necessarily it's not the best thing that they're that they're thrown into the fire but i do think that it could pay off into the future if the bruins can play well and, you know, at least kind of be fringe playoff team. Now, all of a sudden, those guys get that experience, get those, you know, get those minutes and get those games underneath their belt. And then they can actually be decent players. And, of course, we'll see how they turn out, right? But I do think that there are some of those guys in the organization that – because Lizelle's not up yet, is he? No. So Lizelle had a very quiet preseason and ended up getting sent back down to Providence. Okay. So, like, I do think he's a guy that could eventually help out, too. You know what I mean? And so, we'll see, right? I mean, who knows how those guys develop. But the the, N, the NHL and the MLB are so strange because those guys that come in and they're, like, absolutely incredible when they're, like, 17, 18 years old. And you just don't know how they're going to develop when they get older, right? And so, it, who knows what's going to happen with those guys? I mean, I'll never forget 
who the hell was the pitcher that was the lefty pitcher that the Red Sox were like, we can never trade him. He's going to be the greatest pitcher of all time. And he came up and he just like couldn't even pitch. And I don't remember who it was. Oh, I think like, I got to guess, like, oh, well, Ryan, you, know, you might be able to help me out. I think it's Henry Owens. Is this who we're yeah, talking about? Yeah, that's who it was. Henry Owens. <laughs> they were like, you Here, can't trade here's, him. Here's what trade, here's how old send I me am. We can't do that, it. You I know was what thinking I mean? like 10 years before that. Oh. <laughs> but I remember Henry Owens and they were like, we can't trade him for anyone. He's the greatest player ever. And he like can't, he couldn't even throw a strike, you know, when he got to the major league. So it just like, you just never know how those guys are going to turn out. But I do think for the Bruins, you know, I don't think we're going to be, I think you guys are going to be winning the, winning the championship, winning the, uh, the president's trophy this year. But I do think that it could be a fun season to watch some of those, some of these young kids grow. And I think that that's, that's at least something that makes it entertaining. I mean, at least it's entertaining to watch. You know what I mean? You know, that's what's great about watching Matt Patra right now. He's 19, and he yeah. made the opening night roster. Granted, right. his situation is hard because he has nine games to impress at the actual NHL level and show front office he's worth the full 82-game season. Or they have yeah. to send him back to juniors, and he's gone for the rest of the year. So he's got a lot to prove. It's a... It, I don't necessarily disagree with you that they have some young players in some depth, but it's mainly bottom six guys. Jacob Lauko, uh, Oscar Steen, who comes up and down every so often. Brett Harrison maybe will come up maybe this year. Luke Toporowski. Johnny Beecher is going to be making his debut this year. Georgie Merkulov maybe. Um, but at least offensively, it's mainly bottom six depth. There's no prospect I can look at except maybe except by Sal, there's no other prospect that I can look at in the Bruins organization and go, this is your bona fide number one center for years to come. And that's right. the biggest thing that we've had so many years. We had basically three or four years to when Zidane Chara was on year to year contracts to say, Hey, how are we going to replace him? Boom. We traded for Hampus Lindholm. He's now your top left hand, left shot defenseman. And it worked out great. And now he's paired. He can pair with Charlie McAvoy. He can pair with Brandon Carlo. That's good for him. They never addressed it with the center position. And that's the hard thing. And what unfortunately it's going to end up meaning is that the Bruins have surprisingly fantastic goaltending prospects behind Allmark and Swayman. Brandon Bussey had arguably, maybe inarguably, the best save of the preseason by far. And Kyle Kaiser behind him. Those two guys are going to be your 1A and 2 and 1B in uh, Providence. It's going to be one of those guys who you maybe have to put as a part of a package for someone who needs their goaltender of the future in order to get that number one center. And so it might hurt them, but, you know, that's going to what that's what the Bruins are going to have to do in order to get that top line talent back again. Yeah, it's a good point. It, it, it reminds me a little bit of the Red Sox situation, though, where you've got, like, depth pieces and fringe pieces and maybe one or two parts of your core they will have for a while. But there's got to be some part that's got to be overhauled. And for the Red Sox, it's clear it's that starting rotation. Well, I, I think that the big difference is that we can extrapolate whatever we want from the Bruins losing in game seven last year, but they were the best team in mm -hmm. regular season history. So like right. the way they're put together was sound and solid. The Red Sox now are defined in a really interesting way. And I think this is coming for the Patriots where you have, 
I have no idea what they're going to do. And I think that whenever the Belichick thing ends, which I would imagine would be probably at the end of next year, because that would be his 50th year coaching. Um, I don't think he's going to get fired to hear Bill Simmons being like, I can't believe he's in the conversation to get fired. It's like, no, you're saying that. So you're hearing the conversation that you're having and you think, He's not going to get fired in the middle of the season. He's Bill Belichick. However, this isn't good. Uh, nobody likes this. It's, it's not great. Um, I just think that in the same uh, sense with the Patriots and Red Sox, we don't know what's going to happen. I think with the Celtics, we do know that it's going to be this. They have a, you know, Fucking solid core, and any backfill adding will be minimum guys and mm-hmm. etc. And well, Brian, let me, let me let me ask you this real quick about about sure. the Red Sox because I grew up diehard Red Sox. Red Sox were the number one sports team in my life basically until the 08 Celtics. That was no question about it. I mean, baseball was a sport that I played growing up. And since I've moved away and especially covering the Celtics over the last couple of years, it gets harder to really invest in a six month season, seven, eight months. And you put in sure. spring training if they go to the playoffs and all that. And so really by the time the Celtics season ends, I try to make a determination, like how much can I really invest in this team? And especially I'm one of those fans that the Mookie Betts debacle it really sat with me in, 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 in a way that soured <laughs> you, me on this you, team. You, I, and st- you stole my punchline because when you when you were going to say, why would I be excited about this? I would say, well, after they traded Mookie Betts, I couldn't give you a good reason to, yeah. Yeah. to, to do it. And so I ask you, because this may be one of the few things that can bring me back before, you know, July hits. Any any depth to these Shohei Otani rumors or is that all just smoke? I don't think it's all just smoke. Uh, he's got to go somewhere. He's not going back to the Angels. That's mm-hmm. that's a foregone conclusion. There are teams that are more likely to just throw the bag at him and a bigger bag than the Red Sox would throw, even under a more aggressive uh, regime. So like specifically the Mets, I think that's the, the Mets or the Dodgers. The Dodgers have a ton of money. The Mets have a ton of money. They're not afraid to throw it at people. Both of those make a ton of sense. Now, Otani has expressed some interest in the Red Sox because he's a New Balance guy, I believe. And the New Balance headquarters is in Massachusetts. It's right next to the Bruins and Celtics practice facility. I, I don't think Otani will be on the Red Sox, unfortunately. And yeah, that, I mean, that would be, if that's what you need to get back into the Red Sox. I'm just I saying, it's, it's, it's at least happen. a step in the right direction because no, it's, but like it, if, it's been tough. It's been tough. It's, it's yeah. tough. My, my only sales pitch, and I barely believe it, but I do, is that. Now that the guy who traded Mookie isn't there anymore, there is an opening to not feeling 
like you're being lied to all the time. Yeah, but the problem is the guy that writes the checks is still there. And That's he's fine, the one but that, he did. He he's did the more the reason in my World mind World that Mookie's not, Mookie didn't get Right, there. but he's then, the reason he, why then, Mookie best didn't get paid. And he got for a little bit because he wanted to right. buy the Penguins and he yeah. wanted to put money at the Liverpool. And so I, I just... I get it. It's, it's you know, tough what the, because the guy brought four World Series here. And, and right. like I said, we grew up, all of us, uh, you know, grew up as as Boston sports fans. And it was crap. It, it was crap my entire childhood. And it, it's, yep. you know, I tell this to a lot of the guys I work with at Celtics blog, who some of them are, you know, 24 years old. And they don't know what it's like to not have your team winning all the yeah. time. Now, granted, I think from the time I was 14 to now I'm 34, I had a pretty damn good run. I had a pretty good age to to be yeah. in that window for it yeah. to all happen. But I still remember, you know, the, the breadcrumbs I got from family members, community of just everything mm -hmm. was this is, you know, what was the uh, I think it was either, I can't remember it was the Herald of the Globe that had the Loserville um, big article. And that was like Belichick's first year. I 2001. Think. Yeah, because yeah, he was yeah. in that he was in that picture. Yep. Right. And yep. it's like Jimmy Williams, whoever else. And, you know, that was the mentality of not just the sports franchises in the city, but the city. That was yeah. the, the city felt like that. And so, you know, for it's crazy that a guy like John Henry, who owned, who came in, took over for the Red Sox and ends up bringing four World Series and the move that he made with with Mookie Betts. And there's other moves that you can compile on top of this that are all part of, you know, that same. I mean, that's it, it, really him, the one that that's the main everything. one. But yeah. yeah, but it just like it, it, it's it's amazing that he's become somewhat vilified in, in this current state that he's in. So I'm going to quickly take off my Bruins hat for a second. I'm going to put on, I surprisingly am actually a Liverpool fan as well, so I can talk about John Henry's other endeavors here. Jake, and for the amount can, of I, can I cut you off here for a second? Yeah. Do you know that Dan Secatore, the editor of Over the Monster, is an Everton fan specifically to be against to spite the, the Henry's. fan? <laughs> as funny as that is, he's got to be dying right now at his choice. I mean, he has, he has like an... Uh, three week old so he's dying for other yeah. reasons <laughs> that's true that's true we wish dan all the best with his newborn but you know to speak as far as john henry's moves go for the amount of money he put into liverpool this summer with the signings of alexis McAllister, dominic Zobozlai, wataru endo and ryan gravenberg to completely remodel their midfield there's no excuse to not give some money to the red Sox to right. revamp that starting rotation Brian, I'll ask you this too. Which Japanese player is more important to have on the Red Sox or would make more of an impact? Yoshi. Otani or Yoshi. Yamamoto? Yeah, because he'll cost less. And I mean, Otani is literally the single greatest baseball player of all time. Yeah. I'm a Barry Bonds exceptionalist. And I, even if you take a race out of it, like, like if you take race out of it, Babe Ruth's numbers are incredible. None of it fucking matters. Otani is the best player yeah. right now. Mm -hmm. He is the best. I mean, like he can't, uh, he can't pitch right now next right. year. Mm -hmm. But if you were starting a team to win a World Series and you had a draft, he would be the number one pick every fucking time, every mm -hmm. single time. That said. The people who own baseball teams want to make splashes. They're not if they if they wanted to spend their money better, they wouldn't own baseball teams. Right. I think Yoshi would end up being a better bang for the buck for that reason. 
even he if just he's won the pitching triple crown again in Japan. It's it's incredible. It's incredible. I would love him. I would love. I don't care. You know what? Look, let's set two records. <laughs> let's sign them both. Yoshi to yeah. a record. That will get me back in. I will tune in to see both of them. To a record. <laughs> yep. Right. Problems solved. Well, and that's. I mean, honestly, it's. I. I almost feel like as much as I want Otani, and as much as I would love Otani, they almost need pitching more than they need hitting. I mean, they need hitting. But they almost need pitching more than they need hitting, and so I you mean, can make the pitcher. argument. Just, you know they, I mean? they need pitching in its immediacy. It'll take him a year, but he'll get back. He'll get back on the mound. They need yeah. pitching in its immediacy, though, and so yeah, yes. you'd have to wait yeah, for Otani. Yeah. So, so you need Yamamoto more right now, and and even beyond that too, you need a Blake Snell or Aaron Nola or Jordan Montgomery because I'm sure as hell not relying on Chris Sale to stay healthy ever again. Of those, but, of those. Aaron Nola is the guy I want. Yeah. I well, I mean, listen, at least they didn't have a guy like Nate Valdi on the team and let him walk. From yeah, that, that would you know be all, like, that'd, that'd be awful. Why would you yeah. want a guy like that? Who's cur- who's apparently tearing it up tonight for the Rangers yeah. who are going to win in advance to the ALCS. We're recording this on Tuesday night while the game's going on. But, you know, so arguably your best rotation next season would be Yam- Yoshi Yamamoto, Aaron Nola, what is it? I mean, Bayo, Bayo, Sale, How? That would be insane. That, I mean, that would be crazy. Now, it's well within their power to do it. And I think that is something that has been obscured from Red Sox fans because of the way the front office has operated. But, like, yeah. that's a, you, they could do it if they wanted to. Right. That's what, that's what's frustrating is like when you have the money. You just refuse to spend it. And, and I understand like resetting the cap or resetting the, you know, whatever it is, like rebuilding they reset the it system. so that they, they well, went right. over the luxury tax mm-hmm. though. Like they yeah. didn't after the Mookie trade, but they did last year, which is right. like, right. Yeah. Which is stupid. It's just like, yeah. what are we doing? You know? So speaking of having money to spend and not spending it in positions of need, Pat, I got a point at the Patriots here who, <laughs> just don't have a good wide receiver on that roster. You've yeah. got guys who are fun to watch, like Pop, Douglas, and um, honestly, I can't even tell you anymore. No, that's, no, it. Just that's, that's it. it. That's it. Douglas no- is the fun guy to watch. The problem that's is it. they thought Devontae Parker was going to be good, and Devontae Parker sucks. He sucks. I said he sucked last year, and everyone was, no, 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 he's good, he's good. And I'm like, no, he sucks. This guy is terrible. And so they didn't bring in – DeAndre Hopkins, because DeAndre Hopkins is, he is Devontae Parker. The problem is he's Devontae Parker if Devontae Parker were actually good. Devontae Parker's not actually good. And so for a guy that's supposed to play bully ball and win 50-50 routes, the guy never does it. He never does it. He's the weakest guy at the point of attack I've ever seen. He's like Nikhil Harry. Nikhil Harry was this big body guy. Like, oh, he's going to go up and like rip these balls away from guys. And he just was weak. And never did it. And Parker is the same way. If you get aggressive with Parker, Xavier Howard did it to Parker. Xavier Howard just dummied him. I mean, just absolutely embarrassed him on on an interception that you have to win. It's a one-on-one matchup. Your quarterback is trusting you to beat him one-on-one. And he didn't just lose the route. I mean, Xavier Howard shoved him out of bounds and then turned around and intercepted the ball and made a toe-tapping interception. 
right in Devontae Parker's face, and there was nothing Parker could do about it. And it's like, that's the type of stuff for me where I'm like, if I never have to watch Devontae Parker play another game in New England, I'll be totally fine with that. I hate that guy. I hate him. Hate him with a passion. And so he needs to go. And if that means Kayshawn Booty is their, you know, is their ex or whatever, fine. I'm okay with that. Like, he looked okay in the first game. I know, I know he didn't get his feet down on those two catches. And those are things that you have to do. But like, it's his first game. And he's playing against a really good defense in Philly. He got open, which is something Parker never does. Parker's never open. So like, I just, I don't, I don't get it. I don't understand what they're doing. Their offensive line's terrible. I know that they tried some things offensively. Calvin Anderson didn't work out for whatever reason. I don't know what the NFI stuff was about. Clearly, there was something going on this offseason that prevented him from being ready to play. He's looked terrible when he's out there. Riley Reef actually looked pretty good when he was out there. So is Mike Alwino going to be healthy? Is Cole Strange going to be like none of these guys are healthy? So, like, can they put an actual offensive line together? Can we see what it looks like? And can they protect Mac Jones for a little bit? And then can they get, you know, and look, the explosive plays they got offensively last year came from, came from this guy right here, Marcus Jones. Mm-hmm. He's hurt. Pop Douglas now has a concussion. I don't know if he'll be back on Sunday. So like now you start wondering, you say, okay, well, who are the guys that are explosive? None of these guys are explosive players on the Patriots. And so, yeah, the guys that can get open, I guess. And like, you have to kill Belichick. Look again. He picked Juju over Jacoby Myers, and Juju looks like just slow as molasses, not open, no compete level, doesn't block. It's just that's a massive. Why, why massive did that mistake. happen, Pat? Do because it's, think, it was literally the same contract. Okay, so let me yeah. ask you a question. Do you think he was doing McDaniels a solid? I don't. Because that is the only explanation that so, I could possibly I, think of. Going into the offseason, right? What a lot of people said was that. Juju is a guy who is a good yak player. He's a guy who historically has been very good after the catch. Juju, uh, I'm sorry, Jacoby Myers is not that guy. He's a guy that gets open pretty consistently, is a reliable player, but has almost no yak yards. He catches the ball, he goes down, but he's open. And so they thought they can upgrade that position with a player very similar to Jacoby Myers that provides a little bit more juice than Myers does. The problem is, is that I don't know if he's still hurt. I'm not sure what's going on, but Juju looks like the slowest guy on the field. He looks We've like had the rumors that his guy. knee is still all sorts of fucked up. Yeah. And if that's the case, then that's shame on them for not catching that before they signed him. Because as you said, Will, they signed basically the exact same contract. Now, uh, uh, Juju got a little time, bit less what's guaranteed. What's the upside signing Juju anyway? Like... Right. Like, well, like I said, like, what is the upside? Yeah, He's not it was put up the season he put up alongside Antonio Brown. That is obviously right. Obviously, a case of being a crush yeah. of Antonio Brown. No, I Jersey agree. With sales that. is that it? Well, no, not necessarily. I, I just think I really do think that they thought they were going to get more yak wise out of the slot position than they did last year with Jacoby Myers, and they bet on the upside of Juju, and it just wasn't there. I mean, he look, he looked pretty good last year for the for the Chiefs. He had like 900-something yards mm-hmm. for the Chiefs last year, and he looked pretty good. Once again, that's that's like putting, you know, Rache Caldwell with Tom Brady. He look, looked pretty solid, right? You know, right. Like it, it, right. You know, putting anybody with Patty Holmes yeah. is going to look pretty good. <laughs> no, and that's, you're not wrong about that. I just I, – I think that you saw some stuff out of him last year that that you haven't seen from him at all this year. And I don't know if he's still hurt. I don't know, like you said, Jake, if his if his knee's about to explode and that's the issue going on right now. 
but it just it's a complete disaster with him. And again, they have they just don't have anyone. And KB's been you know what about Ramondre? Like, is he hurt? It seems like it. I don't know, but he's got no. I mean, Zeke looks ten times more explosive than Ramondre does, and that's Which scary because that's really you know, weird. Zeke is, is Zeke ninety-five in, in running back years. You know what I mean? So it's bad. It's it's all. And listen, there's no blocking, so it's not like Ramondre can get a ton of yards either. But if you look at the advanced stats. He's got like negative yards when you look at like his against the projected yards on each run. Like they look at that stuff and it's like he's losing yards too. Like even he's not getting what they even expect him to get. So it's just, it's, it's bad all the way around from everyone. And I don't know how it gets fixed. And again, you know, this is where you kind of bring it back to Belichick because ever since 2017, he hasn't had a good draft yet. I think last year's draft was pretty good, but it's marred by the Cole Strange pick. It's marred by, you know, for some reason, taking Taekwon Thornton over George Pickens, which I have no idea. And listen, George Pickens is a crazy person, so I can understand why they didn't draft George Pickens because he's he's a literal psychopath. So I like I can understand why they didn't draft <laughs> but that's him. But it. like, but you follow the Patriots, you know that's why. Right. You know no, that. it's true. Yeah, it's true. I mean, you're right. You're right. But at the end of the day, it's like he's just such a better wide receiver. And to trade up to get Tyquan Thornton was just like, what are we doing, man? Like, it just I doesn't mean, make any sense. I mean, Harry over DK Metcalf. Even Dude, in this over- year's draft, I feel like he got lucky that Christian Gonzalez fell down to him. But no, now he he's didn't. out the whole year. That was yep. that was a yeah, great – to me, that was a great move. Because at 14 – when you got to 14, you oh, were looking – Gonzalez was – Gonzalez was number one on their board at 14, right? He was number one on their board. Zay Flowers was number two. You're trading back with Pittsburgh. You know Pittsburgh's taking the tackle, okay? You also know the Jets want the tackle at 15. So you're saying, screw you, Jets, because there's nothing Bill loves better than screwing (laughs) over the Jets. So you're saying, screw you, Jets. We're moving back to 17. Okay, we know who's going 14. We know Emmanuel Forbes is going 16, which I don't know why. Listen, I love – I declare one guy my guy every year. Uh, two years ago, it was, it was Marcus Jones. But last year, it was Emmanuel Forbes. And I usually look for a guy that's a second or third round pick. I had Forbes as a second, you know, late second round pick, maybe mid second round pick. They took him in 16, which I think is crazy. But so the idea was Forbes going 16. The only thing we don't know is who the Jets are taking at 15. Now, if the Jets take someone at 15 or if they trade out at 15, we either lose Gonzalez or we lose Zay Flowers. But we pick him next to third round pick. We screw over the Jets. And we still get one of the guys on our board, whether it be Christian Gonzalez or Zay Flowers, and they change either the offense or they change the defense. And and so it was a calculated risk by them. And I think, listen, the fact that he got the 14 at all is complete insanity. I mean, that guy was the best player in the draft. I don't understand how he dropped down to 14, but best non-QB player in the draft is what mm-hmm. I should say. But uh, uh... Jalen Carter, J- I know Jalen Carter exceptionals, but he, the speed, Dean, but he fell right. too. So right. like, right, yeah. right. Off field issues, you know, but, but again, I, I just, I don't, that one, that's a, a hit by Belichick, right? Mm-hmm. I think the Keon white was a hit. I think Marte Mapu, I think will, will turn out to be a hit, but you look at some of the moves. It's just like, why are we drafting a guard? I mean, we drafted Ted Karras's replacement at number 29 overall. We replaced Ted Karras with a first-round pick. 
it was just unnecessary. Like I get it, you like Cole Strange, fine, but it just it wasn't necessary. We get too many holes mm-hmm. to draft a I, guard. Yeah, but, okay, okay, you, I understand this. I just Mac, go. Yeah, tell us. Well, yeah, let's tell us. Yeah. That's that's the is, that's the one we've all been yeah, waiting to talk yeah. about here. <laughs> He's toast. He's toast. He's not the guy. Have you ever He's been not a the Mac guy. believer, Pat? I have been a Mac believer. I have rookie year. I was like, wow, this kid can really deal. He he gets out. He gets away with timing. And look, here it was for me. I always thought his ceiling was Kirk Cousins. I always thought his ceiling was Kirk Cousins. And Kirk Cousins gets a lot of crap from a lot of different people. Kirk Cousins is a pretty damn good quarterback. He's a top twelve quarterback in the NFL, in my opinion. Now he pees down his leg in big moments, but if he if he can, you know, if Mac could have been a guy that was Kirk Cousins and stayed consistent in those big moments. Then I thought, now you're dealing with a guy that's a top 12 quarterback. If you build a decent team around him, you have a team that can compete, right? And last year, I said, okay, last year was an aberration. It's fine. But we're seeing the same stuff from this year that we saw from last year. I mean, you watch some of the JTO stuff. JTO Sullivan does an amazing job on the QB school, breaking things down. And if you watch him, the, the, the breakdowns are incredible. And he just, the feet are a mess. He just he's he's a complete disaster right now. Complete disaster. He's not making his reads. He's not making good throws. He's falling off his back foot, fading away, throwing the ball. It's it's an absolute mess. And I don't know if there's any fixing it. I really don't. And and I just um he's not the guy. I mean, it's pretty obvious he's not the guy, you know. And, and what it comes down to is that you have these levels of so like Justin Fields, who I wanted the Patriots to take in 2021. Justin Fields has this margin of error that's huge because He's so athletic. He can create with his feet. And so when you build your offense around that, which the Bears have been very resistant to do, but when you let him do what he does, he can bail you out of things because he can just run or he can extend the play. Mac Jones can't really do that. He's done that a little bit, but he can't really do that. And so he is, you have to win pre-snap. You have to make the right read. You have to make the throw on time. And he hasn't done that now consistently for a year and a half. And I'm looking at it saying, okay, well, he has Bill O'Brien now. He has a legitimate quarterback coach and a legitimate offensive coordinator, which he didn't have last year, and he still can't do it. And now, now, at the end of the game, his camp is coming out and saying that it doesn't matter who the chef is. If you have garbage, you can't make it. Like, whoa. As soon, I was like, cut him, just cut him right now. Like you can't say, and then he's like, Oh, I didn't hear that. I, I didn't, I'm not even paying. No, 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 no. That was someone in max camp coming out, talking shit about the wide receivers. Can't do it. Can't do it. Can't have it. Especially when you're playing as poorly as Mac is playing right now. So, you know, I, look, it can't get much worse. I mean, they've lost their last two games are combined 72 to three. <laughs> the last two games. That's so, so the Jets doesn't even count you. It really doesn't. It really doesn't. You know what I mean? Now listen, you they might, real they'll, probably be, they'll probably you be probably be the Jets Zach again. Wilson, but, and like as as decent as Zach Wilson has looked, yeah, Belichick but is like I just not you know fair. But it's it becomes a situation where if they can't play better, it doesn't matter who you put in there. Bailey Zappi's terrible, but like it doesn't matter. Just put him in there. What difference does it make? Put him Wilger. Honestly. Put it in freaking Malik Cunningham and just see what happens. Like, why not? Just That's see what the, the hell happens. Like, if you know? Belichick like, is going down, go down with Malik Cunningham because you, you know, know like it'd be fun for us. So it's just, and that's that's really what it comes down to is that it's just fun. 
just have some fun out there. And like they don't look knows? like they're having fun, especially right. Mac. Right. I think and so that it's frustrating. could survive. I think that the Patriots will not be the place that it happens. I think that yeah, listen, like, in a place like San Fran, he couldn't I mean, survive that, in a place like that, San not Fran. like specifically I mean, San Fran. I suppose if a lot he had of gone people. there, that's a golden situation for him. Yeah. I understand your point. I think yeah. he would be Brock Purdy. I really do. Yeah. Like talent brings up average talent. So if you if he goes to a place that has you know good wide receivers, great blocking, where he has the time to make those throws, oh, guys look, who will fight for catches, you do well yeah. is exactly yeah. what we need you to do. It's not exactly rocket science. Like you want the people mm-hmm. to do the people you have to do what they do well. Like that's that's it. Yeah. Is Mac Jones the starting quarterback of the Patriots next season? Hell no. I pray to God, no. Who is I, your... I just don't, you know. I think so, just because it's the last year, the four-year, the the contract. I hope not. I mean, I I've talked about this before with with some friends. I hope that it's not one of those scenarios where he's just good enough that you. I mean, so I mean, these last okay. two games, notwithstanding, he's kind of right. always fallen into that camp for me, where he's just good enough that you don't feel good moving off of him, and so you keep delaying the inevitable and you just leave yourself in this, you know, state of mediocrity, which is what has been the last, I mean, if it's Caleb Williams, years. that's cool. Yeah, I don't know. If I, mean, yeah. I don't know if they'll tank for Caleb Williams, but I would also love a guy like Drake may or JJ McCarthy, Quinn Ewers though. I would love any of those guys right now. Overnight. But it's also like, yeah. it, I think a huge part of it depends on whether Belichick is the one who comes back because Belichick right. also plays both roles here. Maybe he takes a step back from one and focuses on the other. Maybe he takes here's a step the back problem. from it. G- here's the problem with that. Here's the yeah. problem. He's not good at being a GM anymore. Mm-hmm. And then as a coach, his two kids are two position coaches. And his boys are coaches across. the. Th- There's no way to separate it out. It's, right. He's all or nothing. It's funny because well, I, I don't yeah. think either of his sons are the heir apparent to the team coaching wise. No, I think of course not. Mayo. But like that's a brain. Like yeah. even if they're not good, that is like the yeah. Belichick power certainly suck he, that's on the he, team. Certainly, they are coaches because he wants them around. Mm-hmm. Well, and I, but right? I think that I do think they are pretty good coaches. I mean, they're I'm not sure, just like, there it's because like the they're there. Family. You know it's what like I mean? They're just football through and through. Like right. right. We talked about this on know. my show. They probably got overpromoted, like maybe, but I'm sure they know ball. Like yeah, no we talked about this on my show this week, and we were basically saying, like, if you're going to end up drafting a quarterback in the first round, you want a coach that's going to be there for at least the five years that they're there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I just – I don't see how that's Bill Belichick at this point. I, I don't. And so – if you get into the top five and you have a shot at a guy like Drake may, then, then it becomes, all right, we move on from Belichick and we, and we bring in some offensive guru to be their head coach and, and kind of go from there. Could, uh, could they get wild and go two for one? Shadur Sanders and prime. Bring them both in? Let me tell you something. Oh my God. So, so here, here's my thing, right? Prime's already said that he, he he doesn't want Shador to leave after this year because he wants Shador to be the number one pick, and he's not going to be the number one pick this year. Mm-hmm. I, that makes me so sad because that's the guy. Like, to yeah. me, 
the swag on that freaking guy, man, and the balls. Like, he just balls out. And he'd Even probably fit somewhere moments. in that four to six pick range, which is right? kind of looks and, like where the passer that's, are That's the for. spot, man. And it's like, bro, I, I honestly, I would go to Prime and be like, listen, and I don't think Prime's stick works in the NFL. I don't think it does. So I don't think it will transfer up here because the guys don't – because they're college kids still. Like, they're still kids. You can't, you can't motivate professionals the way you motivate college kids. I don't think at least. I, I just don't think it will work long term. It might work if you're winning. It won't work if you're losing. Um, and you so to know what you're doing in the NFL, right? If you're prime in college, right. he's like, I'm fucking cool, and you're good at football, right? Play for me, right? Like, that's it, that's yeah. It. I just don't, I don't know if it, I don't know how well it translates up there. It might, but I don't know how well it does. But like, man, his kid is the real deal, yeah. and I would love it so much. And like, all the people, man, the hand wringing that happens here, like when when the celebrations happen and people get so upset, Oh my God, I can't believe this. I just shove it in their faces, dude. Get the wristwatch out and show it to the crowd. Like, I want it all. I want to see all of it. All the people that complained about Cam Newton. No, he celebrates Henry scores touchdowns. Like shut up, dude. Like imagine like the swag that we would have with Shador Sanders and people would be like, that's not my kind of football. It's like, dude, get out fun. of here. At, at like, the very least, you know, I think Brian said earlier, let's get some, let's, let's at least right. have some entertainment. Like that 100%. would be, that would be brilliant entertainment at the very least. So Will, talking about coaches, Missoula, I yeah. want to know. Mm-hmm. It seems like he is, if anyone on the Celtics is under microscope, it's Missoula. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, so here's the thing with, with, with Missoula, and we were highly critical, especially in the postseason of, of Missoula last year, and even at points leading up to it. But I think one thing that the offseason kind of allowed is you have to take a step back and actually remember what the circumstances were when this guy, who, by the way, he's my age, he's 34, 35 years old, yeah. what, what the circumstances were when he took over. The head coach was let go the night before training camp started. You're the interim head coach up until – the all-star break, he was coaching the first game. I believe the first game he actually coached with a head coaching contract was the all-star game. Like that's, that's the type of season that we had. And he was the fourth assistant head coach. You know, Damon Sotomayor was on the team. Will Hardy went out to Utah. Missoula was also up for that job. So, you know, Danny Ainge thought very highly of Joe Missoula. So he went from fourth assistant to the head coach in 24 to 48 hours. And, you know, I, I it was a really crap position that he was in. And I think the tough part was, and I don't know if you guys listened to him on uh, the JJ Reddick podcast recently. If you haven't, highly recommend it. It gives you a much better perspective on on what Joe Missoula kind of went through last year and tried to hit the ground running and, and do what you think is right. But also, you don't really know because you're so in the weeds and you don't really have the support of you yeah. know a veteran coaching staff to rein you in and say, hey, here's what we need to do. Here's what we need to focus, how we need to align. And so, you know, Missoula just got off and running. And the worst thing that could have happened was that they came out of the gates 21 and four with the best offense in the history of the NBA. That is to my grave, the worst thing looking back on it, that could have happened because everything he rushed to do to try to get himself situated, it, it gives you this, you know, 
this this sense of hey i'm doing it right this is what we should do okay i was right to you know defense will be there it's something we we know how to do we don't have to focus on it let's just shoot a million threes and play the math game and that's all we need to do and look at what look at the results i have 25 games of results my first 25 games and you know and he definitely got a little bit of blinders and this is probably the one thing that i would i think brad stevens has been a phenomenal president of basketball operations the one thing he didn't do was give Joe enough support with with finding someone, anyone that he could yeah. bring in as a coaching staff last season. And so I think he obviously corrected that. That's another part of the major offseason moves, not just Holiday and Porzingis, completely revamped that coaching staff behind Joe Missoula. And so I think if you go to that J.J. Redick podcast and some of the things that he said in you know the early training camp and preseason, he's really had a lot of time to reflect. And he's at least saying – all the right things about adjusting the shot variance, knowing that you got to have a curveball. You can't just, you know, continue that analytics when you get to the postseason. You have to take them with a grain of salt and you have to actually play the matchup that you have and be able to make changes in real time. So he's saying all the right things. Now we'll see what that looks like, right? Because there's going to be some things that this team's going to have to to do from a coaching standpoint. You know, even just watching the the first preseason game where the Celtics had their their top six guys. You know, I'll just use Chris Stapps Porzingis as a quick example. A lot of really, really great things that I loved watching Porzingis out there. The one negative, a guy like Tyrese Maxey, he, Chris Stapps Porzingis is going to play drop coverage. And a guy like Tyrese Maxey, he will expose that. And Tyrese Maxey exposed yeah. that in the first half of that game. And, you know, honestly, you got it, it, it's a game of balances, right? So if Chris Stapps Porzingis gives you five great things, and that's one of the things that could hurt you with the wrong matchup, and you know, then you got to adjust to what that is. What's your curveball, as Joe Missoula said? So, I think you're right. There'll be a spotlight on it, but so far, I I like what I'm hearing, and you know, I I think last year really was a, a super unfair situation for him. Having said that, you got a championship ready team, so there has to be results that come along with it. So he will be under pressure. Uh, but so far, I, I think he's handling it pretty well in the second season. But what we'll have to see as the season gets going. You know, it does give you some bit of pressure having a championship caliber roster. But I also think it gives you a little bit of shielding to say, hey, I was given this talent. You know, I can only do so much. These guys are talented enough on their own. Maybe it just wasn't the right fit. I almost have to look at, you know, the Bruins as a team as well, who had that situation last year, who had a super uber talented team. And it maybe shielded a little bit of the coaching issues. And now they've got a less talented team and you have to look at Jim Montgomery. And now you have that less talented team and you, he's not uh, shielded by such great talent as Bergeron and Krejci anymore. He's exposed to the, hey, you have to coach the roster we've given you. And it's not going to be as good as last year. As much as it's a lot of pressure on Missoula, who I have to admit and agree with you, did a phenomenal job uh, navigating the Michigas and craziness that he assumed the mantle with last year. I almost feel like it also shields him a little bit too, that yeah, you have to coach championship caliber players, but it's probably easier to coach championship caliber players because you're already setting the level of talent to be this high mm -hmm. versus dropping the barometer. Now it's not like, you know, I'd almost argue that getting Drew Holiday was more important than getting Kristaps Porzingis because losing Marcus Smart, Absolutely. losing one of the 100%. best defense, you lost one of the best defensive players on the team, and you lost one of the heartbeats of the locker room. Granted, Marcus could have a hot head at times, but you know now you bring in Drew Holiday, who's phenomenal defensively, but is also a phenomenal teammate, and will continue to glue that roster together. It just sets. 
a different threshold for like minimum talent. And I almost feel like that helps Missoula. Yeah. I mean, there's a high floor with this team for sure. I think that there's a a neat connection here between what Will is talking about and a very uh, true thing with that with respect to coaching that the Celtics really bolstered their coaching this off season. Mm -hmm. And you look at the Patriots and it's a coaching drain. Even the people who are experienced are guys he brought back. And it's, there's, and I I was listening to, I don't remember which, I think it was PFF, but I'm not entirely sure. They're talking about how, you know, one of the jobs of a head coach in the NFL is to be teaching your assistant coaches and like bringing them up. And it seems like Belichick has lost the energy or taste for that. And so it's like, it's his kids and it's the people who's worked for him before. So he goes and gets Joe judge and Matt Patricia and it's too old Bill. to start over. Mm-hmm. Right. He's just like, I don't want to teach these people. Like they know what I'm about, but I think that Missoula is the exact opposite. And uh, uh, an interesting case study for Missoula would be the lions where, and this gets into the like racial sociodynamics of the NFL where Dan Campbell came in and uh, as like the white guy who took over and could have been a stereotype hired like this, like just an incredible staff of all the absolute top level uh, assistant coaches, all of whom were black because of the simply the numbers game. And the team has been so much better because of it. Yeah. And I think Missoula, uh, less racially and more just having the time, just coaching matters. That's what it comes down to. Maybe so not, I, in ba- maybe not in baseball, but ever in the other sports. Yeah. See, I'm going to come at you for that actually because do it. I actually, I actually think that getting rid of Carlos Fabulous is going to be a great thing for the Red Sox. I cannot tell you how many Red Sox games I've watched over the last two or three years where he makes either the most terrible send or the stupidest hold. And that's the one run that costs you the game. Here, here's, here's my counter. Here's, here's my counter to that. The reason those calls are bad is because the team is bad. And those situations seem way more important than they should. otherwise. Yeah. I mean, I, I can I ask you a question? Will my favorite player of all time, just such a weird, weird, I'll be honest with you, but Damon Sotomayor is my favorite basketball player of all time. Might have um, and so he came up, at, you know, when I was when I was a kid with the Raptors, first pick ever for the Raptors. I loved dinosaurs when I was a kid. And so, you know, there you go. But <laughs> I mean, those, um, those those jerseys were fire. Everybody loved those. Jerseys were sick. They still I, are. I have I have a purple authentic Sotomayor jersey from back in the day. And it's fucking it's it's incredible. Awesome. But anyways, why do you think? It was Missoula over Stoudemire. Obviously, Stoudemire left midseason to go coach Georgia Tech. Was there ever a thought process? Do you think of giving of of hiring him for that job, or was it all was Missoula always the guy for that spot? Yeah, it's an interesting question. You know, as far as I know, there wasn't really because he was higher in their you know assistant coach rankings, right. if you will. Like I was kind of laying out, uh, and so as far as I know, I never really heard anything about them thinking about going with Damon Sotomayor. I mean, Missoula had been there an extra year. So Missoula did have a, you know, not by much, but slightly longer 
term as far as you know he he was a, he was on the staff under Brad and then was there that one year under Ime. So yeah. I I don't know the any definitive answer to that, but I do think losing him was something that had a much bigger impact than than we realized. And, and you know Brian, to your point where you were talking about with the Lions and kind of the the diversity on on their coaching staff in a different way for the Celtics bringing back a guy like Sam Cassell. I think he's the new Damon Stoudemire is kind of yeah. what you're seeing. He's a guy that he's like, listen, I'm a three-time champion. I was a player and he's he's been in, you know, been with Doc Rivers coaching staff for many years now, been up for many jobs. And so I, I think he's that guy that can can kind of relate a little bit more to to the players on their level. Joe Missoula, he's a little bit younger. I mean, he's he's younger than Al Horford. You know, he's the same age yeah. as as Drew Holiday. And he was a really gritty, you know, really good college basketball player, really gritty player that just didn't have the same experience where Sam Cassell is going to bring in experience from winning championships as a young guy, you know, with the Rockets being on competitive teams, you know, across his NBA career as a main player with the Timberwolves and Kevin Garnett going to the Western Conference finals. And then, of course, coming to Boston as at the end of that 08 season. So I, I think. You know that's going to be something that that's going to be really important. But why Damon Sotomayor was was never that guy? I I, I don't really know. I don't have a good answer for that. And it, you know, it's, it's from anything that I've ever heard, it's never really something that was was really discussed. Okay. I do want to move up to the front office a little bit. You know, we talk a lot about how Brad Stevens has been so phenomenal for the Celtics, uh, and what Bill Belichick has in store if he stays with his team and however long he has left. The Bruins had a good situation with Don Sweeney, still do. He went all in at the trade deadline, did some good things. He might be on the hot seat, but I don't exactly think so. The Red Sox now have to find a leader for the future who stands to that threshold, who meets that level of we are going to be the best because Boston deserves the best sports teams. Who is it? Um, I mean, I didn't put much stock into the Theo being in Boston, uh, stuff right around the time the High Bloom stuff was happening. But I mean, Theo would be the perfect person. Uh, if he didn't do it, I don't care. Anyone who's, I, I think that the cult of the GM is now like so overcooked that someone who just comes in and understands the mechanics of running a top six baseball team and the requisite risks and uh, odds involved can't do wrong. Like if baseball has gotten McKinsey and let's just say it has, that's McKinsey has their pick of the litter. Cause there's hundreds, thousands of people who want to do this shit. The difficult part is not fucking it up on some level. So I, I think that if the, person running it is empowered to spend money they'll be fine hmm. i i don't i like i I'm, I'm not trying to like equivocate here there's just it's not like foot football would be a total like the head coach in football makes 
such a absolutely cosmic difference yeah and how the team goes and in baseball it's the aggregate of a thousand decisions and as long as you're following as long as you have money and are following a path that would eventually make you good enough you'll be good enough we're watching it right now where the uh Dodgers are down two games to the Diamondbacks who are a much worse team. Yeah. But Mm -hmm. the incentive structure is such that just be good enough. Well, how about the Texas Rangers who turned heel, became massive spenders, got Corey Seager, Marcus Simeon. I love that too. Like I, I, I love it. I love it. Also all the players they got kick ass. So like, that's nice. But the you know, the reason I brought up the Red Sox specifically, it actually ties into the diversity conversation we were just talking about, is the possibility of someone like Raquel Ferreira getting promoted into the role or bringing in Kim Ang, whose contract ends with the Marlins, but has experience in the Yankees organization, which is another one of those teams who don't look good but have that genuine expectation of we better win every fucking year. You know, it's that mix of, you know, diversity because it makes sense, but also this person has the requisite background that it should be good. Right. I don't agree that the Yankees have that anymore, just as I don't agree that the Red Sox have that anymore. But that's a different discussion. It, it, you're right. It is a it is a big difference. You know, I Kim think... Ang, University of Chicago graduate, which I am, but she might be proud of it, but I'm not. Yeah, you know, the Red Sox Yankees rivalry is certainly not what it used to be with the Red Sox not spending like they used to. And I think George Steinbrenner would be rolling in his grave seeing what Hal and Hank are doing to this team and the way that they're pussyfooting around big issues and the lackadaisical way that they're spending all their money that they spend money on Judge, who's great, but hurt. Stanton's great, but hurt. Garrett Cole makes a gazillion dollars a year, but you put him in front of Raphael Devers and he looks like me on the mound against him. I so. mean, that's the only thing the Red Sox have had going for them. <laughs> and it's amazing. It's, I mean, it, it truly, I, I got to say, because I live in the New York area and I've said this on our podcast, Yankees fans hate the Astros so much more than the Red Sox right now. It's not, it's not close. Can I be honest? That's actually kind of sad because only, yeah. and, and I get it. Yeah, I get it. I agree. I, I agree. mean, everyone hates the, I, I live in, I live in Austin. So I'm, I'm in one of the few places where people still like the Astros, but it's, and like I said, I get it, but I it just, just talking about what Red Sox Yankees used to be and mm. the intensity that, especially from the mid to late nineties through Oh four. I mean, I, I don't know if I, I'm sure there's other U.S. sports rivalries that have have been like that, but that was so crazy, that period of time, Yankees, Red Sox, that I would give anything to get that back again, somehow, some way. I agree. There's there's this wing place near me that's like, I'm in the New York suburbs, and it's like, the wings are the most amazing wings. So even though it's like Kotbari, like I go there, it's like Kotbari. Mm-hmm. And you go there, there's nothing about the Red Sox. It just says, fuck the Astros. Like, mm-hmm. it's a big thing. <laughs> fuck the Astros. Because they just think, and they just don't care. And people see me, Red Sox hat, 
and we 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 all basically end up saying we're the same fucking team right now. Like it doesn't yeah. like there's nothing. Yeah. I don't care. Um, right, and that's the worst because fuck them, like they're awful. <laughs> right. So Except it, for yeah, I mean the the only thing I can say is that like Judge is pretty cool. Like, he's, he's pretty cool. <laughs> Brian, just, I'm gonna start. I'm gonna start with you here, and we're gonna kind of go around as we yeah, okay. wrap this up. Let's do it. One sentence to describe your team's current situation and near future. The night is darkest before the dawn, and it's the dawn. (laughs) (laughs) Pat, how about you? Uh, An absolute dumpster fire right now. Um, And I I don't see an easy way out. I don't. I don't see an easy way out. And so it might be a long two or three years for Patriots fans. Well, right now, banner 18 short in the near term mm-hmm. banner 19. I mean, that's, that's it. kind of the reality <laughs> of it. But yeah. the one thing that you do have to, I think, keep in mind, I've been saying this on our show a lot. There's a two year window for banner 18 right now. If they don't get banner 18 in these next two seasons, by the time Jason Tatum Supermax kicks in and you've got. Chris Stapps on the books. Holiday's likely about to get an extension when that time comes. We'll see if Derek White gets one done here in the next couple of weeks before the season starts. This team gets really expensive for a team that hasn't won a championship. And, yep. you know, you're you're likely going to keep Tatum. I mean, they're going to keep Tatum. I'll just say, I'll just say that right now. They're going to keep Tatum. This yeah. is when the Jalen Brown road kind of would, would beat the end in two years mm-hmm. if they don't have that championship. And who knows what the hell could happen from there. Right. But these next two years, it's you know, get banner 18 or die trying. And then shortly thereafter, if they get it, I think this team could get on a roll. They're built for, you know, the next five to six years, like what Grossbeck said the other day, but I think it's absolutely imperative. They get one in these next two years. I totally get that. Love it. All right. As far as hit us with the Bruins for right now, it's finding stability and getting younger. That that's the defining theme for this year and next with a team that's been aging and older finding your young core and continuing to refine it but also losing your big names your historic guys you're inevitably going to have a little bit of instability you're going to fall off a little bit Mm. don't let it rattle you too much the 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 general saying goes is for nhl teams if you're in the playoff bubble around thanksgiving you're good. Just get there. That's as near future as I kind of want to go with the Bruins at this point because there's been so much turnover. So find your stability and find it early and stay young. That's what I've yeah. got for, for the Bruins right now. And enjoy the 100th season. It's, it's cool history. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. 100 yeah. years of a team is very cool. Hopefully it goes better than the 100th year at Fenway Park was for the Red Sox. That Bobby yeah, Valentine so. year will haunt let's me hope for so. a long oh time. God. Yeah, that, that was a disaster. I was, I was, trying, I was disaster going through my year. head to figure that which year it was. I worked. God, I worked at LLB in that year, and at, you know we we ran like the uh, you know we were like the boat and totes and all the stuff and like it, what an absolute nightmare of a year that was for the Red Sox. And then it turned. And they great won the, the next World year. Series the next year, which yeah. is insane. Absolutely crazy. 
Well, that's right. baseball, though. Baseball's insane. Baseball doesn't make any sense. Yeah. <laughs> 162 games that almost mean nothing compared to, like, what, 17, 18 games yeah. in October. <laughs> yeah, true. All right. Will, I'm going to start with you. You got 30 seconds. Promote your outlet wherever you want people to follow you. Follow your feed from. Yeah, absolutely, man. Appreciate you putting this together here, Jake. Yeah, you can follow uh, our show. It's Green with Envy, uh, Apple, Spotify, whatever you're listening on. Um, you can follow us at Green Envy Pod on Twitter, on Instagram. Uh, we do a lot of uh, live shows as well on our YouTube page. We also do some. Uh, we also have some content that is just specific to YouTube. And uh, I'm not sure when this airs, but I think this should be airing this week. But on our most recent episode coming out uh, on Thursday, which will be October 12th, uh, we have former Celtic Marquise Daniels who joins us. He was on the team from 2010 to 2012. Uh, got some great stories about his time with the Celtics and as well as, uh, you know, his time in the NBA. Pat the Patriot, all you. Yeah, so we are uh, appreciate this. Is, this was fun. So uh, we are uh, Pat's Nation Network. Anywhere you listen to podcasts, uh, we go live after every game and then once a week either wednesday or thursday night this week this week we're doing thursday night but uh but you can catch us on on youtube at pat um pat's nation network on youtube we're also clns media as well on youtube and i am p lane underscore pats uh on twitter if you'd like to follow there and i talk you know movies and patriots and bruins and red Sox and whatever so the joiner uh, over the monster.com for your off season Red Sox needs, uh, the monsters of socks podcast feed. And me personally, I'm going to do something for the first time here. Brian Joyner, that's Brian with the Y Joyner with an I dot B sky social, whatever blue sky. Cause that's, that's where I'm screw Elon Musk here. Aren't we? I'm, <laughs> I, I look, it's not sports specific, but I find the conversation is actually conversation and less like just warfare, information warfare. So that's, that's very fair. I like that. Uh, you can see me uh, pulling double duty. I am a writer with Brian at over the monster.com, but for all your Bruins content, find us at Stanley cup of chatter.com. Uh, that's me, sky Dan Ryan, who uh, those guys will be on at some point in the near future as our regular season starts. I'm hoping to get this up. For if I call it Wednesday, it's our opening night, Wednesday the 11th. If not, it'll be up Thursday the 12th, and we'll know that first result. Um, you can find the podcast. We're a member of the Fans First Sports Network at Fans First SN. You also have this specific network is Big Bad Bees Pods on Twitter, on Instagram, and on TikTok as well. That is where you can find the podcast. And you can listen to this wherever Spotify, Apple, Google, uh, iHeartRadio overcast wherever you listen to a podcast you'll be able to find this love it um this was really fun you know it's really interesting but i it's hard to get all four teams together like this but i feel like this is this was such a cool time with everybody in such a different state to hear about all the boston teams and where we're going yeah, yeah good luck like good luck the rest to, of the season i Pat. feel like we need to follow up in three months or so that'd be I'm fun for that that'd be fun yeah let us know we'll be in all right, catch Just this time ca- for uh, time for the playoffs for for certainly for the Celtics and hopefully even the Bruins. Well, it'll be probably all it'll be all star time, hopefully for the Bruins. Red Sox will be somewhere in free agency past the winter meeting. So maybe we'll know more about that team. And then ho- we'll know we'll certainly know a lot more about the Bruins and the Celtics and their roster construction going far from there. So hopefully catch us in three months. But for now and for all of us, we hope you guys enjoy listening.
See you later.